You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today with me, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brene Hicks. She's head athletic trainer for the Dallas Wings. And so welcome, Brene. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Tell me a little bit about your background. What led you to get into athletic training and, you know, what led you to where you are now in your career? Yeah. So I grew up and I feel like this is a lot of athletic trainers story, but I grew up an athlete. I played uh, volleyball and basketball throughout high school, but I was uh, big on basketball and I actually planned on going to college for basketball as well. And I suffered some pretty major injuries, both my senior year of high school and going into my freshman year of college. And I used that to kind of see, I knew I wanted to be in sports medicine somehow. I actually thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And as I work with both athletic trainers and physical therapists, I kind of honed in on the profession of athletic training. I just like that working with the athletes every single day and not having to rely on one or two visits a week and just be able to see daily progress. So that's, that is what really led me to athletic training, just building that relationship with my athletic trainer in high school. That was what really inspired me. As you mentioned, you know, it's a lot of um, athletic trainer story. Many of us were athletes and kind of got introduced to it somehow, whether it was through your high school or, you know, if you played in college or something and, and got that experience at that time. But it's definitely a grind. Can you talk about, you know, how you got to where you are now with the Dallas Wings? Yeah, definitely. So I have a kind of a unique pathway Texas has a state licensure program, so you can go to an unaccredited university and be able to sit for a licensure exam where you're uh, licensed in the state of Texas as an athletic trainer. So I went through a four-year program, UT Tyler in East Texas, and uh, at the completion of that, I sat for my licensure exam, and there's actually a practical component to that, unlike the national board exams for athletic trainers. Um, so I sat for that. I became a licensed athletic trainer. And two weeks after I finished my undergraduate degree, I started grad school. So I got into University of Texas at Arlington. And that's where I was working to get those ATC credentials added along. Um, so I think definitely having those four years of athletic training experience in undergraduate was a huge help and has really helped me get to where I am in my career, kind of at an expedited rate than most people are. Um, throughout grad school, I had really good clinical rotations. Uh, I actually started as a intern with the Dallas Wings after my first year of grad school. That's when the team first moved to Dallas and I kind of hopped on and got in there as an intern. And it was a lot of grunt work, a lot of intern like work. And it was, it was exhausting, but it was really rewarding. Um, and then at the completion of my graduate degree, I, got asked to come back to the wings again. So I spent another season there um, as I was looking for a full-time position. Uh, and then I got on with University of Texas at Dallas, where I worked with the women's basketball, the softball, and the cheer and dance teams there. And that was an amazing job. I really liked the division three atmosphere. 
Um, and I got to continue to work with a women's basketball team. And that's my passion at the end of the day. So that was great. Uh, and then recently, um, right before COVID hit, I got a call from the wing saying that they had a position open and they'd love for me to come back. And that's what, how I am today. <laughs> so you said a few things in there that I want to touch on. The first thing was just having that, um, that experience, that foot in the door while you were in grad school, you got the internship. So that definitely helped um, create the relationship for you to get, you know, the position now as the head athletic trainer. And um, the other thing you mentioned, um, you enjoyed working with the division three athletes. So talk about what was it about D3 that you enjoy? Because you have a lot of athletes who are kind of like, you know, may turn their nose up about division three athletics. Right. Yeah. So I actually went UT Tyler when I went there originally for basketball to division three program. Um, a lot of people sleep on division three schools. There is a lot of talent in division three schools. I know a lot of young athletes think just because I'm not playing on television, I'm not playing D1, I'm not getting scholarship money uh, for being an athlete that they're not that good of an athlete. But uh, when I worked at UT Dallas, we were top 25 basketball program in the nation those level of athletes are stellar amongst, I mean, you're talking about thousands of division three athletes and we've got some of the best in the nation there. So um, do not ever sleep on division three athletics. It's really competitive. It's, and then it's rewarding itself because you know, those athletes are there to get their education. They're not there to go on and have this professional athlete career. They're there to focus on their education and then enjoy being a really good athlete as well. So you get the best of both worlds for sure without all the pressures of all of the division one and trying to go pro after and lifestyle after graduation, you know that your, your career is gonna be focused on that degree you got rather than that basketball career you had. And with that being said, um, D3 schools may not have um, as much funding for their athletics programs as like D1 or maybe even some D2s. Did you feel like you had limited resources to do your job? I think I was actually really fortunate working at the, the UT school systems are really great to work for. Um, we had essentially everything we needed at our, and we were fortunate enough to have four full-time athletic trainers, which you don't see at a lot of division three uh, universities. It's usually two, sometimes even one to cover all of the sports. So it was myself and three others. And we all had two major sports and then a tertiary sport where it was like a cheer dance, a golf, where we don't have to be on site all the time. So best case scenario for working at a division three school, um, every situation you get in, is going to be different depending on where you are. But I feel like we had so many resources where I was at. Well, that's good. I'm glad that was the case because it's not always you know, the case and every athlete doesn't have access to the resources that um, so many other athletes may have. Let's move forward to the Dallas Wings. So let's talk about COVID, the bubble. Were you there for the bubble and all of that? Yeah, the bubble was the interesting. Bubble, I say. <laughs> <laughs> the bubble, yes. Um, so we, in about a three to four weeks time frame, found out that we were going to have to go to the bubble and had to leave for the bubble. So it was a lot of figuring out everything in a short amount of time period, figuring out how I was going to move an entire athletic training room to Florida, essentially, and figure out where it was going to be. Um, 
the athletic training facility I ended up utilizing while we were in Florida was actually my actual apartment. So I shared an apartment with um, my assistant coach and my assistant athletic trainer. And we had a really large living room space where we set up two treatment tables for the both of us to work on. We had game readies everywhere. We had Norma Techs laid out. Everything we turned the TV stand provided in the apartment into like storage rooms for our tape and everything. So it was a very unique setup and it was a daily grind. We played games every other day. So after we had a two week training camp, games every other day, everyone's bodies hated them. And that's not even just our team. That was league wide. That was even some of the coach. I I had coaches that were going to see doctors just because the stress of being in one place and the mental health aspect of being in one place for so long and not seeing anyone else and not being able to leave. It was a lot in the bubble for sure. I bet. And that's one thing about this profession. One, you have to be resourceful because you never know what may happen. Um, you may lose, you, you may not get everything you need. You're traveling, some pieces of luggage or equipment may get lost somewhere. So you have to be resourceful all the time. Um, and then also the, the stress that you mentioned, like that's hard. So how do you handle stress in those situations? And then also touch on um, how the players were um, handling their stress and, and navigating all that. Do you all have a sports psychologist or someone to help guide not just the players, but the staff, the coaches and everybody as well? Yeah. So for myself, I, I typically am not one to get stressed. I feel like in this profession, you have to have a level where, you know, you tolerate a lot more than people a usually tolerate. Ritual, right. Exactly. Because you're just, you're going to be stressed all the time in this profession, especially in the bubble when it was nonstop, you're basically seeing athletes all day and then you go to practice and then you see some after. So it was a lot, but the free time that I did have, I, I had a lot of friends in the bubble that I made and other athletic trainers. That was a great part about being in the bubble was I got to connect with the other athletic trainers in the league. Not, you wouldn't be able to do that in a regular season. And that that was really rewarding for me as a first year athletic trainer in the league and having all of these veterans who are well known across the league and across other leagues as well. So that was super helpful for me for me to have that like decompression period with them where we sat and we just talked about the struggles we're having and how we can feed off of each other's energy. So that was really good. And as far as the players, um, we actually, so every day we had to fill out a, uh, it was the NBA My Health chart. And it was basically you um, put in your, if you have any symptoms, you fill out any symptoms you have, you have to record your temperature daily. And a nice little feature that they added in, which I really liked, and I recommend it to all of my girls, uh, they put in, do you want to talk to a mental health counselor? Uh, and you basically click yes or no. And if you click no, then people will leave you alone. But if you click yes, then someone will reach out to you. And there was a league psychologist on standby for any issues we had. And that was a really great benefit. But on top of that, our team itself, we uh, utilized our psychologist. We actually had, uh, we had a few group meetings with our psychologist because 
everyone can go and reach out to him individually, but we do like to get together and do some like teamwork, uh, team building exercises with the psychologist. So that was really good. And we utilized Zoom, even though we were all in the bubble and then we had our, our GM and our psychologist back home, we utilized Zoom and we utilized the breakout rooms to go and talk about kind of issues in society and then issues in the bubble and then just like general team things. And that was really good for people to just sit down and talk about something that didn't involve plays on the basketball court. <laughs> um, I like how, you know, things have shifted more towards a holistic approach to um, treating athletes and, you know, and not just focusing on the injury or, you know, getting them strong and making sure they're ready to play, but it's um, right. play physically, you know, you have to work on all the other aspects of just being a human being, right? Right, exactly. So let's talk about, um, you know, some of the common injuries that you tend to see. Yeah, I think uh, basketball, for sure, a lot of ankles and a lot of knees. That's my two biggest ones I see. And they don't always have to be like severe ankles or severe knee, like an ACL tear or anything, but just like general knee pain. I get a lot of patellofemoral pain, a lot of tendinopathies. And then ankle sprains, that was probably the story of the bubble. I think at one point we ran out of boots and we had to get like rush ordered boots for the entire league because we had so many ankle sprains. So that those are the two big ones. So how do you handle those situations? Um, so I'm big on doing prehab, especially for my girls who know that they have an issue or they've had an issue in the past that they don't want reoccurring. Then I'm like, all right, so when you come in here for treatment, or anything else, even if you're feeling good, you're going to toss in some ankle strengthening, some mobility, some kind of little work, or even I ask the girls to, they, they do a pretty extensive warm up uh, every day before practice and a nice little cool down. And um, we even utilize exercises in the warm up where we're doing proprioceptive work in the warm up and we're doing toe walks to strengthen the calves in the warm up. So just adding little things like that that'll get them warm, but it's also rehabbing. They don't even know they're rehabbing. They're just, <laughs> they're, right. It's kind of a mind game you play with them and get them focused on, all right, I'm getting prepared to play today, but I'm also working on those issues I've had in the past. Right, exactly. So what does recovery look like for athletes post-training, post-game? Recovery, honestly, it's so different for everyone. I, I have a trickle of girls that literally just always feel good all the time. And I love them and it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. And then I have those that are like, if I don't have a Normatec every single day after practice, I won't survive. Easy, easy enough. Uh, we do a whole lot of uh, manual therapy, a lot of soft tissue work. Um, a lot of the biggest complaints are just, oh, I'm just a little tight. Um, so helping them out, like doing their own mobility is helping them out for sure. But getting in there and kind of breaking up those adhesions in the soft tissue as well makes them feel worlds better. And that's at the end of the day, that's the goal. So um, when an injury happens, one, walk us through what the hands off um, duties look like. And then also what happens, say, when an acute injury occurs and what your role looks like during that phase. And then when you're actually, um, say, in the clinical setting or training room setting, what that role looks like. Yeah, so it, it kind of looks different for every scenario. I know for a fact that uh, if there's an injury on the court, my biggest thing is to calm them down. 
I, they're hysterical. And a lot of times in the WNBA too, we're on TV. So we've got cameras on us. They're hysterical. I always go out with the towel in case they want to cover their face or even, or if there's a bad injury, we can use the towel to cover the extremity. That's something that I utilize a lot, but a lot of the time my on-court assessment is just getting them to calm down, poking around and making sure this isn't a medical emergency and then getting them off the court. We're not, we're not doing any full evals on the court with ESPN washing at all. <laughs> but um, immediately after that, um, we, we do an assessment. We see, all right, what's the extent of this? Is this something we think we're going to be able to come back from now? And that's the big part about athletic training is say, do we have them now or not? Because we got to know that. So if, if they're mobile and they're walking, then we get right into the functional aspect of things like, all right, we got a jog, we got to cut. Let's see if we can get back out there. Do we need tape? Do we need any preventative measures for you to play? Now, in the event that it's not something I feel like they can come back from uh, in the league, it's great. We always have a, either a team doctor or a physician of any sort on standby. So we can come over if it's more serious, they can take a second evaluation. Um, and then we can just go from there as far as if we feel like we need more diagnostic tools or any testing after that. Um, if we're in a practice scenario and someone gets injured and they come into the athletic training facility injured, then it's a, it's a more thorough full eval to make sure, all right, we know this practice isn't going to change the worlds if you miss it. So see if it's something we can bounce back from pretty quickly, if it's minor. And uh, if not, then let's sit out today and then reevaluate tomorrow. But um, I'm, I'm not one for jumping to, oh yeah, immediately she's going to be out two weeks. <laughs> like, let's like, unless we know for a fact, like this person had surgery, we have deadlines or we have certain timeframes that we have to meet with injuries. Um, I will not go out there and tell coach definite two weeks. I'm a, let's see how she looks tomorrow and go from there. Right. If it's broke, she won't be back. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> yeah and then I don't want to tell them I don't want to tell them oh yeah she'll be good tomorrow and then two weeks later she's still kind of limping around so I try to keep it really simple and generic to where we know all right we're going to track this on a day-to-day -day basis it looks like right now it could be around this time frame so right. uh, trying to keep it simple based off of my immediate evaluation. And then if further diagnostic testing shows that it's going to be longer then hey, coach, you're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> How do you handle those conversations when, um, you know, you have the athlete who is, they're injured or they're coming back from an injury and maybe they're not quite ready yet, but almost there, you know, they've met a lot of their goals and they're pretty close and they're ready to get back in. How do you have the conversation with them as well as with coaches. I explained to both the athlete and the coaches that this is going to be like, we're almost there and this is going to be a gradual toss you into practice and see how much you can do. Um, whether that's, all right, we're going to start with a real basic shell drill. It's non-contact. You get to cut, you get to move around, but you're not having anyone chaotically move and having to jump to this force or that force. So, um, I start with, and if that feels good, that same practice, I'm like, all right, well, we'll do a few minutes of live shell drill and you'll see how that feels. If anything bothers you, let me know. We'll dial it back. So it's kind of a take it one step at a time when you get to that, when you get to that 90 to hundred percent range where you're like, 
oh, I'm feeling good, but I'm not a hundred. The confidence is a huge part. If they're not, if they don't feel like I literally this season had a girl told me, I don't think I'll be able to cross people over like I used to. <laughs> so I was like, okay, if that's, if that's your issue, then I want you over here crossing this cone over until you feel comfortable to go out there and cross a regular person over. So it's a gradual progression. It's a, it looks completely different for every single person because some people have no issue with confidence at all. And they're like, yeah, I feel good. I'm just about to go out there. And then they usually go out there and they can do a whole practice and it shocks us all and we're, and we're good to go. <laughs> but then you have those other people that are like, yeah, I, I was able to do it, but it did cause a little bit of pain. I was like, all right, well, let's dial it back just the hair and then we'll go from there. So it's, it's just a progress for everyone. And knowing your athletes help significantly. Sometimes it's, Sometimes it's not always the physical readiness, it's the mental readiness. And so you have right. to be prepared for that just as much as um, the physical aspect. You know, you may be 95% physically ready and you'd be okay to go out there, but the confidence, if it's not there, like that could put you at just as much risk as it exactly. would if you 75% ready, you know, from a, a physical aspect. And so right. that makes a world of difference. So what does some of your injury prevention um protocols or even just tips look like you kind of touched on a little bit of it you do a little bit of prehab you know is, is there any other um aspects of injury prevention that you like to incorporate whether it's promoting proper nutrition or you know we talked a little bit about recovery or anything else yeah I definitely um I one I tell all my girls to be upfront and open Trust me, first of all, because that's the biggest thing that needs to be established is trust. And if you have any little ache or pain, just let me know as soon as that starts. Even if we know it's not going to be anything major, like maybe you just got hit in the side, it's going to hurt for a little while and it's going to be gone tomorrow. Any little ache or pain, we can jump on that now. So uh, I've gotten really good and uh, girls have gotten really good with communicating with me. Anytime they have any little issue, cool, we'll address that. We might start doing a few exercises for it. And then if it doesn't bother you in 24 hours, then that's just how it is sometimes. Um, but if we jump on things early, that's the best thing. Um, I'm big on giving home exercise programs to my girls because a lot of them either don't want to stick around after practice or they just don't want to come in or there's just not a time in between their media schedule for them to come in and do the extra work that they need to do outside of all the strength training they're already doing and the recovery they're already doing. Uh, so I will make a complete home exercise program for them. And it's really simple. It's all stuff they can do on their own, in their bed, on the floor with little to no resistance at all. That's just making them a little bit stronger and keeping them aware of their own body and that's and it includes like mobility so they'll sit in bed and do a pigeon stretch every commercial break or they'll do glute bridges or we'll have girls with with knee issues do quad sets every commercial break or something like that so really I keep it really simple for them so they'll do it they know it's not going to be all of this extra work that they have to like add into their day it's something that they're just chilling all right, now I can toss in these body weight squats or these leg raises or these quad sets, something super simple. Um, stretching is a huge thing. I give everyone uh, the thick green stretch bands and they all have that. If they don't have it, I'm like, 
here's a towel. Here's how you can do everything with the towel, making resource out of every little thing you have, especially with COVID. It, that made a lot of us really good about figuring out what we can use in our home to make each other stronger. So um, that, that was cool. And even before we went to the season, like people had little issues here and there. And I said, cool, I'm sending you a home exercise program. I know you can't find the gym right now, but Hey, you can add a, a case of water bottles as resistance, <laughs> something unique, something easy for them to do. So what are they doing now? I mean, yeah, of course the season is over. Are the women still here? Are they overseas playing? Are they just chilling? Like, what, what does that look like for them as well as for you, you know, the staff members? Yeah, so um, most WNBA players go overseas in our off season. Um, and we actually, a lot of my girls had about 14 days after our last game in the bubble to when they had to report overseas. So the, the time crunch was really crazy. The girls left the bubble. They went home, spent a little bit of time with family and then immediately reported overseas. So they're all currently, uh, almost all 12 on my roster are playing overseas right now. Um, I do get texts and calls from them every so often, like, Hey, this is, and they have athletic trainers overseas. Um, but they always, that's, I like that. They are good about checking in with me. Um, I will still send home exercise programs to them overseas. So, I know they can count on me for that. That's one of my big things in the off season. Uh, I, in the off season also, I still uh, handle a lot of the workers' comp claims. So in the WNBA, all injuries are filed under workers' comp since that they got injured on the job. Um, and we basically get called, any bills we get regarding the imaging or the doctor's visits, I still get calls saying, oh, this is a past due balance. Perfect. I'll get that sent over to workers comp, um, handling things like that, getting devices ready. And then like in a few months here, I'll be back at the arena, getting everything organized for the upcoming season, seeing what we need to get ordered. Um, we're currently working on getting some different partnerships with um, people that could help me out, massage therapists, physical therapists, um, all kinds of different things in the off season. It's, it's very interesting. This is my first off season with the wings full time. So not having truly anything to do, it feels like not having any hands-on work is, is different. I've been utilizing this time and getting a lot of CEUs. I've taken a course and plan on taking a few more courses. So yeah, off season, it's nice right now for sure. Right. This is unusual, right? (laughs) Um, one of the last things I want to touch on is um, just your relationship with, um, you know, the other team members, the coaches and the other staff members, strength and conditioning. How do you all work together? What does that relationship look like amongst you all? And, um, you know, just to be successful in helping the team be their best. Yeah, I, I mean, that relationship has to be there. That is so crucial because the athletic trainer probably spends more time with the athletes than a lot of the coaches and the strength staff. So they come to me for a lot of guidance on these girls' personalities and to have a relationship, a good relationship with your coaches and the all staff included is really crucial. Um, strength staff, especially because they help me out a lot in the, uh, in the rehab, prehab portion of things. If mm-hmm. I tell them, Hey, um, this girl has a limitation. I'm pretty specific with the limitation. I don't want her to go past 90 in her squat, or I want you to avoid any overhead or keep her 
make keep an eye on her knee valgus when she's squatting or things like that. So they keep little eyes on things like that. They help me modify things they're doing in the weight room, but then they also are good about honing in. I'm like, yeah, she just got back from knee surgery. Um, make sure we're really like pounding that lower extremity strength and that plyometrics work and her jumping mechanics, making sure that. So that's one less thing that I have to worry about because I know I'm focusing on it in their little bit of rehab time, but they need that after a certain point of rehab, they need that full body strengthening. And our strength coaches are great about really like specializing for each individual and not just making a broad workout plan. And I really like that about the strength staff and then the coaching staff. It's uh, we do have a change in coaching staff. So it'll be a brand new trying to build a new relationship with someone else. But I've never really had too many issues with building relationships with coaches because they know we need each other and we need to work well together. We need to communicate well together. So um, relationships with everyone else. And that's even like your, your media people, your PR people, like everyone on staff, like don't burn bridges ever. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, that's good though. I, I like that. Um, Sounds like you all have a really good team environment and you work well together. So that's, that's like paramount to yes, thrive. <laughs> what are some tips or recommendations that you would one give like the younger athlete who wants to play in college in a professional level? And then also what tips would you give the college athlete who wants to play at the professional level? Yeah, for the younger athletes, I would say the work doesn't happen in the two hours of practice at your high school, your middle school, at your club team. The work happens when no one's watching. So all of my athletes are the athletes they are because they put in so much time in the gym outside of those allotted practice times they have with their team. And yes, those practice times with your team are great. You're going to learn a lot of skills. You're going to learn a lot of good things there. But if you're not putting in that extra work on your own, when no one's watching, when no one's like there saying, good job, like you're doing this well, then you're not going to be the best athlete you can be. So put in that work at all times and really hone in on working when no one's watching because that's when you're really going to be good that's the when you have those kids come in freshman year and they make the freshman team and they're not happy with that and they go over the summer and they just grind all day and night and they come back and they're a varsity starter so that's the type of work that you need to be putting in if you want to make it to the college level Um, and then for college athletes um, just know that the NBA and the WNBA, and this is just talking basketball, but those aren't the only professional leagues you can play in. There's a lot of overseas leagues. I know division three athletes that have gone overseas to play a sport that they love. So it's possible at any level and just continue to work. Just like those younger kid advice, I continue to work when no one's watching. You Yes, you've reached almost the top of your game at the college level, but there's always room for improvement and there's always places you can strive to play at for sure. There's different level leagues. You don't have to be an NBA player to be a professional basketball player. That is so true. So true. I think that the mentality of just the the fame and the you know, being a celebrity and, you know, so much of what we see on social media and on TV, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's cool and all, but 
the chances of someone making it to that level, it's, you know, they're slim. And right, so exactly. there are other opportunities for you that are um, bigger and wider and you will get an opportunity to, if you play overseas, you get an opportunity to experience a new culture, different people, see things in another, in another light. You know, the perspective that we have as Americans is so much different than, um, you know, other cultures and other, other right. um, societies. Don't despise small beginnings. Because <laughs> you never know where they can take you. Never exactly. know. Grind day and night um, to yeah. achieve your goals. You know, just keep going for it. As long as you have the ability and the resources and the support, keep going. Like, you know, go as far as you can, as far as you want to go. Right. I completely agree. If there's any last things you want to say, go ahead and, um, you know, say some things if you like. Yeah, I just say for the young athletic trainers out there, the ones that are still in school, the young physical therapists out there, anyone who's trying to get into sports medicine, just really stick to it. Find your passion, find what you want to do, and then get in positions to where you can reach those goals. Find those internships, harass people until you get information on the best internships or an internship in the field you want to be in and and keep pushing because it's not easy. It's not. It's not. I mean, going through school as an athletic trainer, it's it's a lot, you yeah, know, and even cool. once you get into the profession, it's a lot. So please know if it's something, you know, kind of get that that experience before jumping in. But then, you know, just get an understanding of what that lifestyle requires, what that means, what the sacrifices um, mean for you and you know, and potentially a family. So definitely want to make sure you set yourself up right. Yeah, Thank you for tuning in today. And a special thank you to my guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. To learn about the sports performance, rehab, and wellness services provided by Dr. Tierra, please go to www.thetntfect.com. You can also send questions to info at thetntfect.com. And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.